You're listening to Parents You've Got This, the expert guide to parenthood. Your complete guide to pregnancy, birth, baby and parenting. Join us for the journey. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Mustella. Mustella is a natural origin skincare for babies and children, recommended by healthcare professionals. Mustella, by parents' side since 1950. There are so many tests and scans that are offered throughout pregnancy. We're really excited today to welcome back Dr. Peter Jesevic to the podcast to talk all about tests and scans. Dr. Peter Jesevic is an obstetrician with over 27 years of obstetric and gynecological expertise. He has delivered over 6,000 babies and specialises in high-risk obstetrics. He is one of the Australian pioneers of the maternally assisted caesarean and he's also a head of obstetrics at the Royal Women's Hospital and has his own private practice at Francis Perry House. He's joined us on previous episodes but we're so excited today to talk to him about the different tests and scans we have during pregnancy. Welcome. Nice to be here. Pete, let's talk first about ultrasounds. Um, when do we have these throughout our pregnancy journey? Sure. Uh, many years ago, my mother had me. She didn't have a single ultrasound scan. But we fast forward to 2023 and we have readily accessible ultrasound. In fact, even in my rooms, I have two. And so I can scan a woman at every single visit. That's how frequently they can be performed and safely so. Generally speaking, an ultrasound scan is always going to be recommended at around the 13th week, and this is a particular scan called a nuchal scan, and it's a scan that's looking at some various features in the baby, the baby's neck measurement, the nose and the heart, which can have some uh, statistical relevance with regards to genetic concerns the baby might have. And we would also traditionally recommend an ultrasound scan at the 20th week of the pregnancy, and that's what we call the morphology scan. So an opportunity to see how the baby's growing at the halfway mark, to see if the baby's anatomical development is normal, check and see where the placenta is located and often we'll also look at the length of the cervix. So those are two scans that would be traditionally recommended. Now beyond that, whether we do scans as a dating scan at the beginning to check to see if the pregnancy is in the right spot and progressing well, if there's just one baby and so on, all the way through to doing scans later in the pregnancy either just to see the baby again or to actually measure it and get a sort of biometric to see what we think the estimated weight might be, the placental biophysicality, how the placenta is functioning. There's no specific set pattern, and again, particularly in regards to a low-risk pregnancy. Obviously, if a pregnancy has risks, then we would often have you know, specific protocols and guidelines as to how often a scan would be recommended, whether it would be done by me, in a hospital, by a sonography service, or so on. So it's not a simple answer, but scanning is certainly readily available and certainly more commonplace nowadays. And during our antenatal care, are there particular tests and scans that are routine that everyone has or, you know, is it up to the individual pregnancy? Everything in pregnancy is choice. The choice of how you are cared for, where you're cared for and what tests you have. But traditionally, most people will follow the guidelines. So traditionally, the guidelines would offer some blood testing at the beginning of the pregnancy and they would include checking your blood count, your iron stores, your blood group and antibody screen, your thyroid, looking for certain serological markers to look for various infections and so on, and often a urine test. And these will be very commonplace investigations. There are tests nowadays where we can do what's called expanded carrier screening, where we can check to see whether you as a mother and as a father or parent might be a carrier of a certain disorder, which if it was a combined issue where the two of you might carry a near identical problem, could pass it on to your children, either the one you have or future children, and that could give them a potential risk of a condition. After that, other blood testing would be as per the pregnancy up until around the 26th week of the pregnancy, where we often would recommend doing a blood test for a glucose test. 
and also doing a blood test to check your blood count and iron stores. The one other blood test which is optional, but it's a blood test that nonetheless is becoming more commonplace, is the genetic screening blood test. And the two versions of this are the non-invasive prenatal test, called NIPS testing, or doing a maternal serum screen blood test, checking some hormones. And these tests are looking at certain things that can help to give your baby a genetic assessment, looking for things like Down syndrome, etc. So the NIPS test can be done at 10, 10 weeks. It's about 99.5% accurate. It can actually sex the baby if you wish to find out the gender of the baby. And it can help to diagnose or see if the baby might be at risk of carrying something like Down syndrome. And the other test, the maternal serum screen, which is a cheaper test, can be used with that scan I alluded to at 13 weeks to give you a risk estimate for conditions of that nature. So there are lots of tests and there are, of course, other blood tests that might be necessary if you have a certain type of pregnancy risk and that will be discussed with your care provider. How does it work, Pete, with the tests? Does the care provider do them or do you recommend who the pregnant person goes to see for each test? Sure. And are there costs associated with the tests? Yeah, sure. Uh, I certainly try as much as possible um, to be able to provide testing for patients to get them done as bulk build tests if the providing service will do that. Uh, that's not always necessarily available. Uh, certainly for the first round of testing that I alluded to, some of those early blood count, blood group testing, uh, often your GP may have requested those for you prior to coming into the public system or to see me privately. And again, whether that's done as a bulk build or a privately build um, test would be as per the care provider. In terms of the genetic testing, that's non-rebatable, so there's no Medicare funding for those genetic blood tests, the NIPS testing or the, or the um, maternal serum screen, so that would be an out-of-pocket. Uh, for the selfie DNA test, which is a very, very accurate test, 99.5% accurate, and obviously to gender assess and exclude some significant problems, there's a cost to it, and that's a little over $400, out-of-pocket, non-rebatable, not always easily you know, accessible to all women. Uh, for the maternal serum screen blood test, which is about $100, again, not necessarily is affordable for all, but certainly might be a little bit more accessible. So really it comes down to where you're cared for, whether the test is done through the hospital or done privately, and whether there is a capacity for bulk billing. And what about the later stages of um, pregnancy, things like you know, gestational diabetes tests and vaginal swabs? You know, are there more tests that happen towards the end? Yeah, so I alluded to those first round of tests, the genetic screening, I alluded to the scans. Uh, the glucose test is traditionally done around the 26th week of the pregnancy uh, and it's usually recommended as a two-hour fasting test where you have a sugar drink, it's a glucose load, and then you have blood testing done at fasting one hour and two hours. And we look at certain cutoff points to see whether or not you're at risk of gestational diabetes. We'll often do that in conjunction with your check of your blood count, your iron stores. Uh, if you've got a certain type of blood group, particularly a negative blood group, we might also recheck for blood group antibodies. And of course, if there's any other issues and conditions in the pregnancy, for example, thyroid dysfunction early on, which we're seeing more of this gestational hypothyroidism, you might be on some thyroxine thyroid medication, we might be wanting to check your thyroid levels. Outside of those conventional tests, other tests are usually going to be based on risk. So a high-risk gestational diabetes pregnancy might do the glucose test earlier, 16 to 20 weeks. Uh, if you've got a concern based on symptomatology for iron deficiency, we won't wait to 26 weeks. We might test earlier and so on. So sometimes during a pregnancy, we might recommend doing a swab if there's a concern about a condition like thrush for example or if you've got an unusual discharge that might warrant investigating excluding other pathogens but at around the 36 week mark in the pregnancy there are certainly a number of hospitals certainly the hospitals that I work at around the country that will recommend doing a swab for a bacteria called group B strep GBS. Now GBS is a bacteria which colonizes all women's birth canals vaginas okay so it's a part of your normal your normal bacteria. 
in a percentage of women, uh, for no reason other than it just can, it will over-colonize. You won't necessarily have any symptoms from that. But what will happen is we can do a low vaginal swab and we can pick that up on a swab culture. If it comes back positive, which is in about 25 to 30% of the population, we know that there is a slightly high risk of that transferring to the baby if you're having a vaginal delivery. Now, if that's the case, some of those babies can be colonized. Those babies can then be potentially infected. And if they become infected, they can become affected. And so a percentage of babies can become quite sick from that. So we know that. And so we offer this swab. And if the swab comes back positive, we offer the woman with the positive result the opportunity to have antibiotics during her birth to reduce transmission of the bacteria to the baby. The swab is optional, as are the antibiotics. But in terms of risk mitigation, we know that risk mitigation can alleviate potential poor outcomes for a percentage of babies around the country annually. And we would see that as being a positive step. Fantastic, Pete. Thank you so much for sharing your information and expertise with us on the pod today. A huge thanks to Mustella for sponsoring this episode. Did you know that Mustella is not only for babies? Mustella also has a range of maternity products like the 100% Certified Organic Stretch Marks Oil, Stretch Marks Cream, and the Certified Organic Lanolin Free Nipple Balm made up of 100% natural ingredients and dermatologists tested. Mustella Products, our family's favourite. You're listening to Parents You've Got This podcast, The Expert Guide to Parenthood. Next week on the podcast, we're discussing pregnancy ailments and how to get some relief. And we've got Dr. Peter Jesvik back on to give us all of his tips and tricks. Never forget, parents. You've got got this. this. The information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, a discussion with your doctor or healthcare professional. Parents You've Got This take no responsibility for any medical decisions made by individuals based on the information provided in this podcast. You've been listening to Parents You've Got This, the expert guide to parenthood. You've got this parenting gig. 